I would, uh, I would like to uh, talk to those of you here today who have, in your life, you've, you've come face to face with your, or you, with, with your sin. Those of you here who have come to that place in your life where you've, you, you've come to that inescapable place of facing your own internal corruption and failure and sin and the hurt that you have conjured not only in your life, but in other people's lives as well, the isolation that it may have caused you in relationships, and most notably a relationship with God. I want to talk to those of you here today who have that, who, who, who are struggling with that, who are dealing with that, and who really don't know what to do about it. These past couple of weeks, we've been tracing through the, these, these, these incredible letters that, that Paul wrote to these, these early churches, um, encouraging them and, and, and strengthening them and teaching them about who Jesus the Messiah is and what he has come to do. And the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this, this, this one specific letter called 1 Corinthians, written to a, a church in a city called Corinth. And, and if you've been doing the reading plan here or with us, you pick up really quickly that this was a messed up church. And when I say a messed up church, I'm not referring to an organization or a staff or an administration or a facility as though I can point to something there that I go to. I'm talking about the people because church is fundamentally people. And the people who banded together in this city called Corinth in the name of Christ were messed up people. They were sinful people who were, who were carrying all of these issues and all of these hurts, and they didn't know what to do with them. And if you read through 1 Corinthians, what you see is this letter that comes out of the gate with, 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 it has a bite. It has a bite to it. it is Paul comes to this church and he's convicting them and he's pushing them. He's not letting up. He keeps going after them, almost forcing them to come face to face with, with what they've become as individuals and as a body and not letting them go. Because for Paul, this thing called sin is deadly. For him, it is nothing short of cancer. And if you let cancer go, it eventually takes you over until it destroys the very being of who you are. And what Paul does is he comes into this, this church and he writes them this letter almost like a surgeon with a knife. He comes in saying, I've got a cut, but the reason I'm cutting is uh, as painful as it might be is because if I don't cut, you won't heal. And he comes at him, and he comes at him, and he comes at him. And I want to talk to those of you here today who are like those people in Corinth, who are there, and you have this sin, and you have this corruption, and you have this failure in your life, and you don't know what to do with it. Because 1 Corinthians has a message to you. And the message is this. Repent. Now, repent is a churchified word today, but it wasn't a churchified word to Paul. 
it was an ordinary everyday word that he, he used that, that in their context would have, would have carried a different connotation than the, the religious meaning that we give it today. Because when Paul said to them, repent, what he was basically saying was this, turn, turn, because the stakes are too critical. About five minutes before pregame today, at 8 a.m., we meet with the staff, we pray through the service, we, we attend the details. About five minutes before pregame today, I get a call, and it's not uncommon on Sunday, service times, right? It's my cousin. This is off. And you know right away, this is off. And you can hear it in her voice. And she's calling to let me know that my cousin OD'd on heroin last night and died. He's 30. Sin is like cancer. Left unchecked, it consumes and destroys. And I wonder what, what, what Paul might have said if he had the opportunity to speak with my cousin Brendan. I wonder about the sins that you come here with today. Not in some voyeuristic way because I need to know them, but just what Paul might say to you because I think I know what it would be. Repent. Because left unchecked, the stakes are too high. Maybe you're here today and, and, and you're not a heroin addict. Maybe you're here today and, and drugs are not in your issue, but I guarantee something else is. What is it that chains you and enslaves you and addicts you? What is it that grabs at you and pulls your heart no matter how many times you have tried to turn from it in the past? There were these people in this church called Corinth that had these issues, and many of them had just given in. This is who I am. Who cares? What's the big deal? I even kind of like it. And Paul comes at them with a cutting, biting message. Repent. And let me explain to you a little bit about what he means. Because when Paul says repent, what it entails is really two things. First, it's this idea of coming face to face with your reality. No longer hiding from it, no longer denying it, no longer rationalizing it. But coming face to face and saying, I recognize it. I realize it. And I admit it. But it doesn't stop there. Because the second part of what this means is then to turn. To turn where? Like just all day? To turn where? For Paul? Turn to God. A merciful God who can forgive no matter what sins you come with. A merciful God who is powerful and who can free no matter what enslaves and chains you. A merciful God who accepts no matter what ruin and wreck you have made of yourself and no matter how you have become alienated from everyone in your life. A God who delights in you despite what you've become. 
For Paul, it's coming face to face with those things and those, those conditions, those, those essences of who we are and admitting them and turning towards the God who is out there like this with blood dripping from his hands saying, I love you. So many people get the wrong notion about Christianity, that what it is is a country club for the holy, that what it is is a place for the perfect to gather, that what it is is all about getting your life in order and getting yourself cleaned up because then maybe God has reward for you. If this is your idea of Christianity, you are not a Christian because nothing could be further from God's economy in truth. The kind of person that God would rather have is a broken sinner in his room who has repented and turned towards him than the holiest of people that this life has ever seen who are near his side. I want to give you an illustration of, of what God desires and what Paul calls the people to. I need, um, I need someone to kind of be my prop today, and you'll only have to sing and dance a little bit. Um, everyone know J.D.? All right, you, you, you can, this is JD, and he can stay there. Now, you got to imagine that, that JD is God, all right? This is a struggle his family has daily trying to discern, is he or isn't he? And, and, and we know that's a tough one, but JD is God. God would rather have someone who is so far away from them in the quality of their life the ruin and distance that sin has made, but facing towards him, turned towards him, than someone who from outward appearances has it all together and might be this close, but is facing the wrong way. Because for God, it's repentance. It's turning to him no matter who you are and how broken you might be, that brings you into his grace and mercy and favor. May his face shine upon you <laughs> and not the backside. Are you with me? And this is what Second Corinthians is about. Because after the surgeon has done his work with the knife and he's cut and he's convicted and you come to the place where you realize it and you turn, this is the powerful message that God then has to say. And what you see in this second letter called Corinthians is this sheer overflowing grace and mercy pouring out on those who have come face to face with their condition and sin, hearing this word from God that he loves you, that he died for you, that he accepts you and invites you into him. It's 13 chapters long. We're not going to do it all but I encourage you to start reading 2 Corinthians this week and hear the comfort and joy and peace and presence that comes flowing from what God has to say. Instead, what I'd like to do is just sample it here today because some of the most amazing gospel passages in the Bible 
come out of this letter called 2 Corinthians. I mean, it, it's, it's chock full in, in dripping. And, and ironically, it's, it's Paul's sleeping giant. It's a letter that gets so overlooked in the wake of other ones that he had to write. But if we overlook it, we miss the powerful things God has to say. I think of this, where Paul just simply says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Have you ever felt like God has failed you? Have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever cried out those prayers? How long, oh Lord, how long? I read your word and I see your promises and, and God, how long? Paul has got a word to you and to that church in this letter. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. It is God's way of saying, you can trust me. You can trust him. Because if God has promised, it is coming to pass, and it is coming to pass in his son. It's things that can begin to be experienced now and things that we still await when his son comes again. But you can trust him. God has not forgotten. No matter how many promises he has made, he is faithful, and he keeps them. And they are yes in Christ. I think of this one. If anyone is in Christ, Paul just kind of busts out. You know, you know, translations water it down, I think, a little bit, but he just kind of busts out. A new creation! Can't contain himself. The old is gone. The new has come that no matter who you've become, God's end-time realities are bursting in the scene. The kingdom of light is overtaking the kingdom of darkness, no matter how dark your life might be in Christ new life, new reality is bursting forth. I think of my son, Brendan. I think of my son, uh, my, my cousin, Brendan. I think of him and the slavery he must have experienced, that, 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 that drug. I think of me and the way I feel victimized by my sins as well. But you know what God says? Do you know what Paul says? You are dead no more. You are slave no more. In Christ, new creation. New life. Bursting forth. The old is gone. In him, the no is here. I think of what Paul writes to this church when he says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Have you ever prayed to God, Lord, just make it stop? Lord, would you just take it away? Lord, would you just fix? Lord, would you? We've been there, haven't we? Keep praying that way. Paul prayed that way. But on this one occasion, this is what God had to say to him. Wait, Paul, you're begging and you're pleading and you're asking, but my grace is sufficient for you. 
It's not about you getting strong or getting your act together, Paul. It's not about you, you being healed and whole, as good and wonderful as that is. It's, it's, it's that my power will be made perfect even in your weakness. And Paul writes, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in... Do you delight in weakness? Do you delight in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties? Of course you don't. You're not an idiot. No one delights in these things. But Paul learned to because he discovered something that even when I am beaten down in the dirt, broken and without anything to give, helpless and hapless, God comes through. God comes through. And it's in those times when you know nothing has come from your hand that God's power is really revealed that it's shown for what it is that you realize you are standing on a holy ground in the midst of an unholy world going, God is truly here. Because when you are weak, you're strong. Because God and his power are here. Which means you can endure Whatever you're facing, you can endure. More than that, you can thrive. You can thrive because no matter what you're facing, God in all his power is at work in you, in Christ. It's a taste of this letter called 2 Corinthians. And it's just the beginning. There's a time when each of us has to come face to face with our sin, when we can't escape it anymore. And it's in those times that it might feel like God's, God's spirit and conviction were cut. Convicting but he does it to heal. And that's what 2 Corinthians is about. Someone texted in last week. How do you stay focused on God and stay steady and not lose yourself? And can I just substitute things in here? For whatever those things are that allure and grip and enslave you, that corrupt you and alienate you, that take your priority and take hold. You follow where I'm going, right? How do you stay focused on God? In times like this, there's a number of ways. I'm just going to give you one. Take God's promises and make them your own. Take those simple words and phrases and promises of God and make them your own. Think about them when you get up in the morning. Talk about them 
with your loved ones and family and friends. Bind them on your forehead, write them on the doorposts of your house, tattoo them on your arm or wherever else you're putting ink. Think about them when you go to bed at night. Deuteronomy 6, the snot out of these things. Take these promises of God and make them your own. Memorize them, ingest them, immerse them, and let God speak to you in the times when you are there going, has God failed me? Let God speak to you through them when you're in those times going, I'm a victim to it. Let him speak to you in those times when you're going, I'm broken and there's nothing I can do or give. Let him speak to you in those times when you're going, God would not want someone like me. And you will be amazed at what God does in your life with your focus when this cancer called sin comes lurking. And my hope and my prayer is that if I'm speaking to you today, whoever you might be in this, this building for the first time or someone who, who has been a believer for years, that if I'm speaking to you today, that you would repent, that you would turn to a good and merciful God who loves you and who has so many other things to say. I want to invite you to rise. There's this ancient prayer. The band's going to come up. There's this ancient prayer that believers would gather to say, to go, I believe it. Yes, in Christ. And I encourage you and invite you to perhaps take that step towards repentance by praying that prayer together with me today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting.